0: she's the author of negotiations breakthroughs and co-author of stepping stones to success and several other books to listen to previous interviews see upcoming guests download podcasts and learn more visit www.conflicthealing.com so mari what's your show about today
1: well lloyd today our show is about grief and you know when we are grieving there's a lot of conflicts that come up our inner conflicts our outer conflicts and so i thought it would be important that we deal with that issue and this is a beautiful book that we're going to talk about today with francis weller who is the uh, the author it's called entering the healing ground grief ritual and the soul of the world and um Bill Plotkin says, quite possibly the best guidebook ever crafted on the art of grieving. So we're going to talk about the art of grieving and what grieving really means and, and how do we deal with it. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest who's coming from Northern California on the phone with us. Francis Weller. MFT, is a psychotherapist, a writer, soul activist who has developed a style he calls soul-centered soul centered Psychotherapy, synthesizing diverse streams of thought from psychology, anthropology, mythology, alchemy, indigenous cultures, and poetic traditions. All these beautiful things. His book, called Entering the Healing Ground Grief, Ritual, and the Soul of the World, discusses creative pathways to reclaiming our indigenous soul. And this is what psychologist Carl Jung called the unforgotten wisdom that resides in the heart of the psyche. And Francis has has taught at Sonoma State University, New College of California, and the Sophia Center in Oakland. And his writings have appeared in anthologies, journals, exploring uh, confluence between psyche, nature, and culture. And we are so thrilled to have him. And if you want to find out more about the book as well, although we're going to talk about it, go to enteringthehealingground.com. Francis, thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's a pleasure, Mari. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I saw in your background you went to the University of Wisconsin in Green Bay, and I'm a badger from Madison. You are? Yeah.
0: Well, that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, so we all own those those Wisconsin brats and cheese. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's right. I'm heading back to Minnesota on Monday to speak at a conference, but uh, maybe there'll be the, the, the uh, scent of bratwurst in the air. I don't yeah, know. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's so good. Well, this is really a wonderful book, and and I also really enjoyed all of the, the, um, the, the wonderful quotes that you found, too. I, I love this one by Carl Jung. Embrace your grief for there your soul will grow. Isn't that the truth? Wow. That is the truth. So let's talk about, you know, there are many types of grief. Let's talk about what, what really is grief.
0: Well, grief is attached to any experience of loss. And it is the soul's, the psyche's natural response to the, to the rupture of connection to something we love to an experience in our life that has faded to uh, an experience of losing even portions of our own life. You know, sometimes when we're raised in situations that don't tolerate all of who we are, we have to let go of pieces of ourselves. And even that's a loss. Every day we encounter the losses that surround us in the world, Mm. whether that's uh, coming across... A deer on the side of the road that's been hit and struck or a clear cut. so there there are many ways that loss and grief kind of surround our life and what's being asked of us is that we learn how to walk with grief through our lifetime.
1: yes, you know, just recently i I had to have a molar pulled and it was I was grieving that you mm-hmm. know? I mean just having to get you know the implant and stuff, but I was. I decided to thank that tooth for all the many years that it served me.
0: <laughs> I think that's a good, to, a good way to hold it.
1: I did, but yeah. you know, I mean, it, it was really, you know, there are so many types of grief. Whether and you know, I deal with people who have loss of relationships with mediation, yeah. you know, the loss of a of a business, the loss of a of a marriage partner. It is there are so many types of loss and grief, and I don't think that people in our society, really know how to do it. You talk about the individual's duty to mourn. Why don't you talk about that and explain what you mean?
0: Well, if we don't honor the losses in our life, they accumulate. They begin to backlog in our psyches in some very genuine way. In fact, when people come into my office here, most of the time they come in with the complaint around depression. But if we touch it for any length of time, what they're really experiencing is the weight of unresolved, untended sorrow. Mm. It weighs us down. Even the word grief comes from gravis, which means heavy. Mm. So grief becomes this heaviness that we end up dragging around our entire lifetime. Yeah. Indigenous cultures, everyone that I've studied considers grief a toxic thing, not meant to be packed around in a U-Haul. We're supposed to actually set it down regularly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's our duty to mourn. And that means to keep regular uh, attendance at that grief shrine in our, in our heart to make sure that we are cleaning it out. I call it soul hygiene.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's a maintenance practice that we con- you know, consistently tend to these accumulating sorrows and set them down. But part of why it's so hard to do that. Is we can't do it alone Yes And we're a very individualistic culture And a very heroic culture So we're supposed to be able to Somehow In our own self sufficiently Muscle our way through our lifetime But grief has always been communal You it know is, Yeah ahead.
1: I was going to say, Francis You know um, In April we lost our beloved golden retriever oh. That we had that we. He was very, very special to us And um and, you know, people said, well, go out, the, you know, the best thing to do is go right out and get another dog. And we couldn't do it. You know, we just couldn't do it. And it's still, you know, we're, we're thinking about it. I have to kiss every dog I see on the street. But um, it's, it's, I guess we're still in that mourning period.
0: Absolutely. And I think grief is the way that we acknowledge that love has entered our hearts. Mm-hmm. And if we don't honor that... Uh, Through a real time of grief, it's as if we're trying to, you know, kind of uh, protect the heart from the vulnerability that love Mm. takes us into. Mm -hmm. I remember working, uh, giving a talk down in Southern California, and a man who had lost his wife recently said, well, tell me the one, two, three of grief. Oh, dear. (laughs) I want to get over this. And And I, you know, I could feel his broken heart and I said to him I can't accept the premise of your question because it presupposes an ending to your grief I said it's not going to end it's going to change over time and become this bittersweet melancholy but this is the new relationship you have to your wife
2: yes and he
0: got it that this you know we can't get rid of it nor should we
2: yes you
0: will always have a tender place in your heart for your golden yes you know yeah. We don't have to get rid of the grief, we have to tend it. Yeah. And by tending grief, we are deepened, we mm-hmm. are made more open, we are ripened in a in a very real way. In some sense, I don't think we mature as human beings until we have a working living relationship with grief.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and when people said to me, we'll just get another dog that'll that'll take care of it. It's like no, I, I just, you know, I couldn't in my in my gut, in
2: my heart, mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. you
1: know, I couldn't do that. I just need to move through it. You know, you also had another um, wonderful uh, quote here. It says, the heart that breaks open can contain the whole universe. Yeah. And, and that was um, by Joanna Macy. And I was thinking about how when you break open like that, then you know, then spirit can flow in, you know?
0: Absolutely but, uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and if you're really, really broken open, that's when compassion can come in and all the things that we're meant to learn from that morning, right?
0: Correct. I don't, again, I, I think what happens when we accept the rights of grief is that we are taken down below the surface of, of the earth, in a sense. And in that underground territory, what some cultures call a time of living in the ashes, we are deepened and strengthened and changed. It's like an initiation of some sort,
2: mm-hmm. where
0: another part of our humanity is called into, into being. And I think the heart of it, you just named, is compassion. Yes. You know, and if I push my grief away, if I resist it, in some ways I remain superficial. I remain surface-bound. Mm-hmm. and i don't deepen i don't drop into some another uh, mm-hmm. layer of what it means to be a human being
1: yeah and that's where a lot of the conflict even within yourself comes up you know you're conflicted within yourself thinking oh well i'm i should move on I should get it together, like you talked about, that rugged individualism. I should just move on and let go, and that's the past and it's done, versus, oh, my God, I'm hurting, you know, I'm lonely, or I'm hurting, or I'm sad, or I just have this this, uh, loss, and I think we end up with our own inner conflict as well.
0: Well, we're caught between what the soul intuitively knows it needs and what we're conditioned to to per, how, how we're conditioned to perform. Yes. You now, we're expected, like you said, to kind of pick it up and muster on. But intuitively, we know that we are, we have left the ordinary world and we are living in this parallel world where our work is really to mourn.
2: Yes. And the
0: mourning process, again, is a ripening process. It is not a punishment. <laughs> it is not a failure. You know, people sometimes can come in and say, well, I want to, Work on this grief, so I can, you know, f- basically to fix it. Yeah, exactly. And I said, there's, "There's nothing broken. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong. You are experiencing what is absolutely right and normal to feel, given the givens of your of your life right now."
1: The the sad thing is, is that culture doesn't give you that time. I remember, I remember, you know, losses with losing my sister when she died, or my parents, and. You know, you feel like you're in the fifth dimension. Everybody else is doing their thing, right? They're, they're going to work. They're, they're going to parties. They're doing their thing. And you're, you're in a fifth dimension. That, that's how I felt. The same thing with after my divorce. I just remember thinking that no one is at this place that I'm at. Mm. You know, that I'm in this totally different place. Every, the life is going on around me, and I am like kind of stuck in this place. That, that is nowheresville, which, you know, I realize now it was, it was important for me to mourn and, and do that. But it's in our society. It's not really accepted, is it?
0: Well, it's not so much a matter of expectation. It's a matter of permission. Yes. You know, if, if you're walking around in a culture that keeps everything well lit and keeps every sign of illness and death marginalized to the fringes, then we don't see every day people walking around with that feeling of sorrow in their hearts.
2: Mm.
0: When I spent time in Africa, everywhere I went, some day on any given day, there was a grief ritual going on in the village.
2: Mm.
0: And I remember walking up to one woman and saying to her, you have so much joy. And her immediate response was, that's because I cry a lot. Mm-hmm. And what an incredibly un-American comment. It wasn't because I keep myself busy or I have a lot <laughs> right. or I, I shop a lot. <laughs> right. It was because her heart was consistently allowed to move into that realm of sorrow. And then we come back, like William Blake, that fiery poet from England, once said yeah. the deeper the sorrow, the greater the joy. Right. So if we're given permission, and I'm hearing, I see that all the time when I do grief rituals people just eagerly awaiting the permission to say, Your sorrows are welcome here. Yeah. Because everyone has them, don't don't we? Yes. I mean, no one has been spared loss. Yeah. It is what I call part of the commons of the soul. It is so human to know loss, but it's rare in our culture to be given permission to fully honor it.
1: Yeah. People will say, don't cry, don't cry. And and I tell people, like when they're in mediation with me and thinking they're very sad about the end of a relationship or something, I just say, you know, your tears are cleansing. Yes. Your tears are cleansing. Yes. It's, it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, Just and like... necessary. Yeah. I've yeah. even done research now to show that grief tears are literally carry toxins out of the body, mm. or, whereas other kind of tears don't. Interesting. Yeah, so when we talk about a good cleansing cry,
2: yeah,
0: this is absolutely true.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Was there a time in our culture when, when we were more in touch with grief and mourning rituals, do you
0: think? I think that you know there are some traditions within the culture like the Irish wake and certainly in the in the African American tradition the uh the church funerals are still very vibrant and still very alive and mm-hmm. still a lot of permission to grieve but as we kind of became more industrialized and more sanitized uh we've we have slowly lost that but there certainly were pockets within the culture that you know in many different churches and many different um smaller communities, intact communities, still have, I think, a more vibrant relationship to grief than what we do at large right now.
1: Right. So, you know, you say in your book that when grief remains unexpressed, it hardens and becomes solid like a stone, and that we therefore stop moving in the rhythm with the soul. So what do you mean by that?
0: Well, in reality, I think we're more a verb than a noun. I think we're more a rhythm, a pulse. A dance, a poem, then we are a static thing. But when grief congeals, when it solidifies in the heart and hardens in there, in a sense we stop moving. We stop feeling the vitality of life. We stop feeling the, you know, the, oh, that wild expression and the exuberance of our life. We become uh, much more static. So I think that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to say in that phrase, which is, uh, well, the thought that just came to mind is that when the number one cause of death in this culture is congestive heart failure. Mm. So we have to think not just only in terms of cholesterol and plaque, but also what is it that's congesting our hearts? And sometimes I think it is really we, we die from broken hearts. We die from lonely hearts.
2: Mm.
0: We die from ungrieved hearts and these congestions have to be addressed at some point otherwise we end up leaving here bitter yes you know?
1: i remember years many years ago reading uh, a book by elizabeth kubler ross you know with when she talked about death and dying and and loss and and i was thinking about how anger how you know when, when this this whole you know prescriptions for healing conflict is about Dealing with anger, and it seems to me that people who really repress all of this mourning and all of this loss become very angry. You know, you talk about that they 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 become hardened, you know, and like a yeah. stone. What about the anger that comes out?
0: Well, there's two sides to that. One of them is that uh, there's a healthy form of expression of grief, which is called outrage and protest. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not okay that that she died. It was not okay that such and such happened in my life. That's a form of grief, actually. Yeah. Grief isn't just about crying. It's also about being able to express fully the full outrage of our hearts that this happened in my life. And uh, when we're at the grief rituals, there's a lot of that movement happening at the shrine. Now, the other side is the anger that is about pushing everything and everyone away right so they don't get too close to the vulnerability that's lying just below the surface so it becomes a protective and defensive mechanism uh, that tries to somehow insulate the heart from the vulnerability of revelation
1: yeah so it's it's a very precarious time for relationships other relationships when you have a big loss, right? I mean, cause, definitely. Because if you have a big loss and you're walking around angry and you're not dealing with it in the in a way, and you push away friends or spouses or whatever, that you can really um, escalate conflict that need not be there. You know, you're pushing away instead of inviting the 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 support that you might need. Right?
0: That's so true. I mean, part of what happens, I think maybe more for men, is that when there's loss involved, it takes us into a territory where we feel weakened. Mm. And so we feel uh, almost too exposed in our weakness to let that type of relationship, anybody, get too close to us. So we put on the bravado of I'm okay or don't get too close or we get a little bit sharp and, and cutting. And it tries to, again, create this buffer zone where you won't get too close to the places where I'm not in control. You know?
1: Yeah, I, I do notice that about men, and even with Lloyd, who's listening to this, but um, <laughs> when we lost our dog, or we've had other losses, he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. He doesn't want to talk about it, Just yeah. and gets mad when I want to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, and, and I have a need to talk about it, <laughs> of and, and he has a need not to talk about it <laughs> so um that makes it kind of a challenge but you know i try and understand that that's a need he has so i have to talk about it with other people do you know what i
0: mean i do i do i'm not sure uh, well i don't know the circumstance at all but to say I, he has a need not to talk about it it may be that I think, for a, again, a lot of having worked with hundreds and hundreds of men, yes, there's a fear of talking about it, yes, because I might, again, enter into a room where I'm not in control, yes, and I don't know what's going to happen if I walk into that room. Most of us feel that that room has no floor, yes, and if we walk into that room, we're going to be in free fall, right, and we're just going to be in this out of control emotion, right, that terrifies us. It's yes. rare, You know, what I've, what I've noticed too, Mari, is that it's rare for us just to have grief singularly. We almost always have a grief fear.
2: Mm. It's like,
0: a, like they've kind of formed a bond in this culture, partly because we're so unfamiliar with the territory of grief that when it comes up, we simultaneously get afraid. Yes. So that's, that's been a big part of my work while I wrote the book and while I'm trying to do the, the programs that I'm doing is to re-educate us that you can actually trust grief. Yes. It's actually, I I call it a threshold emotion. Mm -hmm. And that if we can truly cross that threshold, we really re-enter into the full vitality that is our birthright. Yes. Yeah.
1: You talk about the five gates of grief. Can you share that
2: with us?
0: Well, briefly, the uh, five gates are, the first one is what we've been talking about is um, the loss of someone or something that we love. Yes. That's the only one culturally that's acknowledged. So when someone, you know, dear to us or or, or like your dog dying, people can say to you, I'm sorry about your loss. Yes, yes. The other four gates, no one will ever say anything to you. Mm. So it becomes this privatized experience. The second gate is having parts of us that have never known love. Mm. So like in my family, my anger was definitely not welcomed. Neither was my exuberance.
2: Mm. So
0: I had to cut those pieces of me out So that's, that's a loss to the integrity of my being
1: Like a loss of something A loss of acceptance for, for
2: who you are
0: Exactly mm. Yeah, I might, have, I might have provisional acceptance
2: mm-hmm. If I
0: behave a certain way Right But all those parts of me that don't fit That I have to let go of
2: mm-hmm. I have to
0: rid myself of In order to right. be acceptable Right And those are all losses to the integrity of the psyche Right, And typically what happens is that we begin to judge those parts of us as wrong and bad, and we even begin to hate them. Mm. So the proper response to that loss would be grief, but we cannot grieve for something that we hold with judgment. Right. So it's this perpetual grief that we walk around with.
1: And that inner conflict that... You know who you are and who you want to be, and you can't be because it's not acceptable. That's right. It's that that outer conflict that becomes the inner conflict. That's right. Yeah. That's
0: right.
2: Yeah.
0: The third gate is the sorrows of the earth, which Mm -hmm. I mentioned.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
0: they are around us all the time, whether we consciously acknowledge them or not. I tell the story in the book of how when the Gulf oil spill happened in 2010. I would wake up in the middle of the night crying mm. and I would be hearing the sounds of dolphins
2: Aww. and
0: you know, seabirds mm. and all of them drowning and dying from the oil.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
0: two thousand miles away. Yeah. But my psyche is bound to them as I am a member of this planet. You know, mm-hmm. I am a member and a participant in the whole shining process.
1: And to feel that you're helpless in terms of helping them. Yes. That yeah. that's that's a a grieving as well as to not being able to do anything about yes. it.
2: Yeah.
0: And at the same time, I, this is where the soul activism comes in. It is so important that I acknowledge those losses. Yes. Because if I don't, who will?
2: Right. You know,
0: we have to have human beings, adult men and women, who are willing to register these losses so that we actually then can turn around and say, that's enough. Right. No more.
1: Right. Whereas the, the, our society just kind of looks away, yeah, sees yeah. it and then looks away and yeah. doesn't want to see it because then we're going to be in pain.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was dramatic at first, but then we, the coverage quickly dried up.
2: Right. But the problem right. is still there. Right.
0: The fourth gate of grief, again quickly, is um, what it, we expected when we arrived here and did not receive. Mm. We are wired biologically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally by uh, over 250 to f- 2 million years of evolution.
2: Mm.
0: And our entire psychic landscape was shaped through that time to expect a large welcome when we got here. We expect to wake up in the morning and see 40 pairs of eyes looking back at us mm-hmm. and asking us, what did you dream last night?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Let's go gather some food for them for today. Let's, let's, and I remember tonight, we're going to do that ritual for so-and-so who lost their daughter. You know, we expected to have this entire lifetime embedded in village and in nature. Mm. And almost none of that took place. Mm. So that's what I call the background echo of loss. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then the last gate is the ancestral grief. And that has many different tributaries, but one of them is that um, we are the inheritors of uh, the lingering sorrows of what happened when our ancestors arrived here on this continent, Mm -hmm. to the native people, to slavery, the environment, that still lingers in us as some kind of um, obligation, kind of a spiritual obligation that we acknowledge this and do whatever we can to make reparations. That's also part of the conflict resolution, isn't it?
1: Right, it yeah, is, yeah. 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 But, and and we, we see that all over the world, too, as well, you yes. know, in Turkey and everywhere. But, oh, everywhere. And, you know, I think that basically the germans have have really kind of done that with the Nazis you know yes. when you think i mean they have kind of they've they've made as best they can i think it and they've done better than many other countries to really uh step up to the plate about really being very sorrowful for the not right. what, what the Nazis have done and having the, the keeping things the way they were yes. in terms of you know some of the, the Nazi camps and, and having people remember and still grieve about it. I think they have done more than most other countries, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. you think?
0: I think so too. Yeah yeah.
1: So so what what do you think we should um, avoid?
0: Isolation? Mm. Mm. You know the, the worst thing we can do is privatize our pain and our mm. grief. It requires a community setting. It requires some other ear to hear us so we can actually set down our sorrow. We cannot do it privately. It is the most dangerous condition we can be in when we're in grief.
1: Wonderful. Well believe yeah. it or not, we are out of time. This is a wonderful book. Entering the Healing Ground Grief Ritual and the Soul of the World by Francis Weller. Frances, it's so wonderful to talk to you and share your book and all the wonderful things that you're doing in the world. I think it, it makes a def, a definite difference.
0: I really appreciate having this time, Mari.
1: Yeah, well, we will have you back again.
0: That would be a treat.
1: All right, thank you so much, and good luck with your book. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM dot org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at... a.m. on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, listen to archived interviews, and write us about all the different kinds of conflict that you'd like to heal in your life and in the world. Thanks!
2: It's about trust Yeah, yeah It's about faith It's about trust
0: program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of
2: Regents.